Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As we mentioned at the beginning of our service, we have started a new sermon series on breaking free. And I know what you're thinking. You totally stole that from High School Musical. And you bet we did. For those of you who don't know what High School Musical is, it's a classic love story that always begins how? A little karaoke. Now I know what you're thinking. Hold on. Is that why we just did the men-woman part of that last song? No. Purely coincidental. What does that have to do then with what we're talking about today? And what does High School Musical have to do with breaking free? Nothing. So we're going to pretend I never did any of that, and we're going to dive straight into the text today. We're looking at the gospel reading, the Matthew reading. We're starting at verse 1. I'm going to read a little bit of it. You can follow along with me. The verses will appear. It's also in your bulletin. If you got your Bibles, uh, brought your Bibles today, it's a great opportunity to write some notes and thoughts in there as we go through the text. Now it says Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod. Magi from the east are coming. They ask the question, where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. Let's get some quick reminders here and fill in some details as Matthew sets the stage for us. Remember, of course, that Bethlehem is the ancestral home of King David, the great king of Israel, the founder of their royal dynasty. However, if you'll recall, Bethlehem, Brad, is not a very large or significant town. It's just a little obscure town six miles to the south of Jerusalem. And since the Christ child had been born there, it had not yet become a tourist attraction or suddenly an important geographical location. It simply was still this tiny town. We are introduced to King Herod, who was the one known at the time as Herod the Great. And he was indeed great. In some ways, he was great as a ruler, builder, and administrator. In other ways, he was great in politics and cruelty. The commentaries describe him as wealthy, politically gifted, intensely loyal, an excellent administrator, and clever enough to remain in the good graces of successive Roman emperors. His famine relief was superb, and his building projects, including the temple, were admired even by his foes. But he loved power, inflicted incredibly heavy taxes on the people, and resented the fact that many Jews considered him an usurper, and in his last years, suffering an illness that compounded his paranoia, he turned to cruelty and in fits of rage and jealousy killed those close to him. In fact, one emperor remarked that it was better to be Herod's pig than Herod's child. You had a better chance to survive. We also meet the Magi from the East. Travelers over time and throughout different English translations and songs have been called, what, wise men, kings, misconceptions, legends about them abound. For example, they seem to have come not on the birth night, as some of those things that I spent about $29.99, the little Playmobil advent calendars, or not calendars, uh, you know what I'm talking about, the little nativity sets? You got those? You got those. Yeah, yeah, we all got those. Yeah. As they would show, but probably several months later, in later centuries, down to uh, the New Testament times, that term magi basically covered a wide variety of people who were interested in dreams, astrology, magic, books, mysticism. And while there were three gifts, more than likely, this was probably a very large and very distinguished caravan of many people led by these prominent astronomers coming. 
And where do they go? They don't go to Bethlehem, a little obscure town where the child actually was born, but they go to Jerusalem. It's interesting to note that Matthew does not tell us specifically that the star guided them to Jerusalem, but that's logically, if you were going to look for the king of the Jews, where you would go. The main city, the main temple. So they get there and they ask their question of where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We've seen his star. His star. I love that, don't you? The star was Christ. But it also led them to him as if the light was leading them to the light. Now, just because I'm sure you're as curious as I was, let's talk a little bit about the star, right? I've done, I've read at least two articles, possibly even four, you don't know. And uh, here's what I found. There are many different suggestions for the natural origin of this remarkable star. Some say it was a conjuncture of Jupiter and Saturn. Others say planetary conjunctions. Others a supernova. Some a comet or a specifically created unique star or sign. Whatever it was, we can't be sure. But it is significant, isn't it, that God met these astronomers in their own medium. He met them where they were and brought them to Christ. Not only that, but this is the fulfillment, right, from Numbers 24. A star shall come out of Jacob. Nothing is by accident, even if we can't tell exactly how it happens. But like I mentioned earlier, they come to Jerusalem, assuming that the leaders of the Jews would be aware and excited about the birth of their king. And these magi are about to find that that is not the case at all. And here's where I'd like to spend some time today. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. Now, no doubt, Herod would be disturbed. He was paranoid to begin with, right? And I don't know, I've never been a king, but news of a new king coming from the people he's told to control and rule over probably ain't what he wanted to hear when a big giant caravan comes traveling to town. But I wonder why Jerusalem was disturbed too. The text doesn't say, so perhaps he'll let me make a guess. Maybe they were worried about what Herod would do. I don't think they were worried about the newborn king, that their promised Messiah was in danger, but they were in danger. I think the people in all of Jerusalem are disturbed too because they had become accustomed to the darkness that had settled over where they were. They could handle the corruption, the paranoia, the murderer that Herod is because he builds them nice things. It's messed up living there, but it's not so bad, right? Herod keeps things tolerable. He's got things manageable. And a little bit of darkness is okay as long as, we know, the light's shining on us. There are always consequences, though, of tolerating darkness. I don't know what the saying, I think of the saying, the bill is always due, the bill always comes, I'm not sure. My wife always pays. (laughs) Just a joke. But we will see that the leaders of Jerusalem are going to give a report and hope Herod's anger doesn't come to rest on them because of what they know. But where will that anger go? What will be the effect 
of them tolerating darkness? Well, if you have your Bibles out, you read past verse 12. And the anger won't come to the Christ child this time. He's able to escape to Egypt, but it will be all the male children who are less than two years old in Bethlehem and the surrounding area that will bear the punishment. Those who could not fend for themselves, who had no voice, killed. Instead of them, maybe. I say that because it doesn't end here with them kind of not caring. I'm kind of just tolerating this. What will the high priest say? It's better for one man to die than for all of us. It's better that he goes away and the Romans don't come in and take away everything that we've worked so hard to keep. Let's just let this one bear the brunt of it. So when Herod had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem, in Judea. For this is what the prophet's written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers. For out of you will, become, will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. I think they answered the question of why they are disturbed right here. Because they truly feel indifferent. I don't think they care. I think they're more worried about themselves. I think people from the east have arrived and said, a star has appeared. Your king is born, the promised Messiah. Where do we go? And they know about these prophecies. They know the signs. And the first news comes, and what do they do? They simply give the facts to Herod and then pull that Homer Simpson gift where they disappear into the bush. They know, but they're not going to act on anything that they know. They hear this good news, but they don't care about it. From what we read here, this passage in Micah, they not only understand that he's going to be the king, but it goes as far as calling him the shepherd of the people of Israel, who will restore them, bring everything that they have been hoping for, longing for. They are told that everything has arrived, and they just are indifferent. We see a lot of indifference, do we not? People who are indifferent can be seen as cold, aloof, disinterested, unmotivated, lacking in passion. There are several reasons for indifference. One of them being the horizontal tablet that we hold. All this information on our phones from our friends anytime, day or night. Getting your emails, getting information bombarded with horrible news from around the world at the very moment it occurs. Turn on our TV, open up our podcast, got crime shows, listening to them all day long about the terrible things that people do to each other. All of this information, usually traumatic and horrible. And so we shut down emotionally and mentally as this coping mechanism of indifference. We need to be indifferent just so that we can function. We don't stop coming back to that bombardment. We just find a way to turn off the personalness 
the relationship aspect of it. And then when the time and the problems of our own life or families, communities, and it is, does get personal and seems overwhelming, we get so trapped, maybe, feeling that we can't make a difference and so instead of trying, we just check out and surrender to indifference saying there's nothing we can do anyway. And we can blame the problems of our world, we can blame the media for always bringing it up, but lest we forget at the center of some of that indifference is our own self, our own narcissism, our own pride, our own ego, which says, I should be first, I'm supposed to be first, and then everybody else Second, the result of self-indulgence is that you become indifferent to everything going on around you, not caring about anything. And as long as things are good, well, I mean, you're only one person. What could you really do? The causes of indifference vary for each of us. And no doubt if you feel like I'm picking on you, you could justify your indifference just like I could. Because the pull to be indifferent is extremely powerful. So maybe you're sitting there thinking, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get passionate about something. I'm going to balance out what's going on. I'm going to get involved. But I would challenge you to say, how will you ever do enough? I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but the funny thing about balance is the goal is to be zero, right? Perfectly balanced. Thanos, but not really. Not a positive or a negative, just zero. A never-ending fight to try on your own to keep adding things, thinking that you'll skip, tip the scales. But you're trying to just be at zero don't know if that's right. The text says Herod calls the Magi secretly, finds out the exact time, sends them and says, go look carefully. As you find him, tell me so that I can worship him. Just more lies and deceit. Bombarding and overwhelming. Darkness. And on our own, we cannot stop it. But indifference stops in our own hearts when we begin to trust that the Lord, our Lord, Jesus, is not indifferent to us. The Lord is not indifferent to you. He isn't bombarded with your sin and your weakness and needs to walk away. He stretches out his hands, leaves the 99 good sheep and comes after you. The Lord isn't so filled with indifference that he 
surrenders and says, there's just too much in the way of me being able to do something for you. Too much darkness. We can't have a relationship. Too much separates us. What did he promise? Not death, not life, not angels, not demons, not the present time that you're living in, not the future that is to come, not any power, not height, not depth, not anything in creation will ever be able to separate God, God's love for you that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. That is epiphany. That is the light coming to you. Thanks be to God that his light shines and illumines our indifferences, illumines our mistakes, our, our lack of caring. And believe me, I know how hard it is to stand naked and walk into that light and be seen for who we truly are and what we have allowed to happen. But it is far better than trying to cover ourselves in leaves or hiding in a bush. It is the light of Christ Jesus that brings healing and forgiveness. So be seen. Don't hold anything back. Open your heart to Jesus and speak to him. Is that not what prayer is? Trust in him. Lean on him. Because his light will cover you and fill you. His light shines on you, no matter how dark it gets. His signature was given to you at, his, at your baptism, right here and here, marking you forever as his. The victory is his. And Scripture would tell you that you are the prize. The Lord is never indifferent to you. He rose for you. And we can trust that God is loving us, you and me, this very moment, just as we are, not as we should be. Trust that God wants us to grow to unfold, to experience. How did you say it? Nestle us, or, or what, was the, what was the rhyme? Yeah, man. Nestle in the propessal. I don't even know. He's making up words like Dr. Seuss, but it's super good. And that he who started it, who started the good work of saying you belong to me, is never indifferent to you, but will complete, will bring you to him. The wise men, the magi, the kings, they heard him. Then they go on their way. And then the star rises. That's what they did in the face of indifference and Herod's lies. They keep going. And look what appears. The light. Maybe that's a message for you today. Maybe with how things are, you found yourself asking, can I even trust that the light and love of God is here with me in this darkness? Yes. Yes, you can, because the light and love of God makes everything better, enables you to keep going. Or did you forget what you heard on Christmas? The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness never overcomes it. Keep going. Keep trusting. Do not give in to indifference, but instead turn to the Lord. 
Because when they saw the star and they got to meet the child, they worshipped in joy and brought gifts. An entirely different response than indifference and not caring. Worshipping in trust and joy. That's how I want to live. In worship to the Father filled with joy and trust. Trust has to be that reliance on His light, the light of Christ, that it will appear in the face of lies, in the face of deceit, in the face of indifference, the light will shine. You want to break free? Breaking free doesn't mean that there's not going to be any darkness. It simply means that the light will shine in it. And so let us trust that. Let us ask God to tear down these houses and fake facades that we've been building and place our feet right in His light. Because He's not going to bring balance. He's going to eliminate everything that would stand against Him. He will tip the scales so that you are drawn closer to Him, whatever that looks like. That is light in the dark. So I pray that you will keep coming to worship Jesus with us on Sundays. And as we go through these breaking free messages, looking at these biblical truths that remind us of the hope that we have, that through time spent together in God's word, worshiping, we will grow in the true reliance of him. And his light will shine powerfully through all the darkness surrounding us. Amen.